Good morning. Proverbs 24, 30 through 34. I passed by the field of a sluggard, by the vineyard of a man lacking sense. And behold, it was all overgrown with thorns. The ground was covered with nettles, and its stone wall was broken down. Then I saw and considered it. I looked and received instruction, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. And poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. The word of God for the people of God. Well, good morning. Hope y'all are doing well. My name is Marco. I serve as the preaching and teaching pastor here at Storehouse McAllen. I'm really glad to be with y'all this morning. In the event that you did not hear Emma, we're going to find ourselves in Proverbs 24. We're looking at verses 30 through 34 this morning. Uh, but just by way of preface, we're going to begin our time briefly in Genesis 2. So make sure that you have Genesis ready. That's where we're going to start and then launch into Proverbs 24. Well, while you open or load your Bible, got a couple of quick updates for you, not just announcements, but updates. Uh, the first one is uh, that if you're new, we'd love to hang out with you. We'd love to take you out to dinner or lunch or coffee, whatever is best for you. If you missed out on last week's new visitor's lunch, that's cool. Don't worry about it. Fill out a connect card and one of us will get with you and we'll set that up. Uh, in addition to that, after service, we're having something called Connect Sunday. Connect Sunday is just a small opportunity for you to learn a little bit more about the life of our church, the groups that we have going on, the ministries that we have going on, classes, and the like. And so visit the back. We're going to have three areas. They've set it up really wonderfully, and you can receive some information regarding our ministries. Finally, we love God's Word. We love to preach out of God's Word. Therefore, we love to gift God's Word. So if you don't have a Bible, we have some available for you. That is our gift to you, so please take one before you head out. Um, I think that's all I have. Let's dig into our time. Today, we officially land the plane in our series on stewardship. If you've been with us the whole way, then let me say thank you. And uh, if you are new to Storehouse McAllen, in brevity, let me share where we have been. Well, uh, we started this series about seven weeks ago with the intention of examining our call as good and faithful stewards with all that God has given us and all that God has entrusted us with. Additionally, we looked at the necessity to cultivate wisdom so that we would grow in these areas of stewardship, areas such as money, skills, or gifting, time, health, and so on. In short, the argument has been that everything we have is a gift. There isn't anything ours, and in fact, as a result, we are called to steward these gifts. To steward something, if you remember, to steward something you've been entrusted with, according to the Bible, is to see that it is cared for and managed, to see that it flourishes, that it is multiplied, or that it is fruitful and expanded. Therefore, today we're going to look at our last area of stewardship, something that you and I should be very familiar with, and that is work. Okay? So here we go. I want you to think about this number. I'm going to hook you up with the number. Don't take notes on this because you're going to be thinking. 90,000 hours. 
Just chew on that number. You're like, what does that mean? Just chew on it, right? 90,000 hours. Assuming you work a nine-to-five job, the average person spends 90,000 hours at work over the course of their lifetime. This isn't counting the work that you take home. This isn't counting you getting to work early to get ahead of the day. This does not account for some of you who may have flexible work schedules or for those of you that have more strenuous jobs. But nevertheless, as we are looking at it from a general perspective, the average person spends 90,000 hours at work in their lifetime. Now, depending on which article you read or who you talk to, The average amount of time that you will spend in the Sunday gathering, this is what we're doing today, the average amount of time that you will spend in the Sunday gathering over a lifetime is generally about 7,000 hours. That does not include serving, getting here early, staying here late, for example. That does not include things like community groups or classes. That doesn't count for fellowship when you go out to lunch or hang out with one another. 7,000 hours. We are shaped by where we spend our time. And it's hard to deny that we are almost very much influenced by where we spend our time. And as I mention all this, the thought may be, well, if we're going to be talking about work, the truth is I can't quit my job or I can't, can't quit being a parent or a student. And the truth is I don't, I don't want you to. That's, that's not the purpose. Okay. The purpose of this series has been to cultivate and apply wisdom in various areas of your life that you are called to steward, areas that you are already involved in, such as work. It has been, this series, it has been uh, for the purpose of examining the condition of our hearts as stewards, rightly applying wisdom so that we would be shaped by the Word of God in what we do and with what we've been entrusted with. Work is no different. So here's my argument. Here's the main idea of our time. The gospel, that is, the work of God for us in Christ, the gospel has empowered our renewed hearts. It's a key phrase there. Our renewed hearts to be faithful and fruitful in our work by glorifying God and making him known. The gospel has empowered our renewed hearts to be faithful and fruitful in our work by glorifying God and making him known. So let me pray, and then we're going to dig into our texts. Remember, we're going to look at Genesis 2, We're going to look at Genesis 2.15 and then transition very quickly over to Proverbs 24. Let me pray. Father, we begin our time this morning by thanking you for your mercy and grace, all of which you lavish upon us lovingly and freely. We thank you for the wonderful weather because it's a reminder of your kindness, a kindness that is sweet and leads us to repentance. Fathers, we examine your word together. May you reveal our need for Jesus. 
Would you expose the idols of our heart? Would you challenge our will? And would you call us to yourself? In short, may your word be the grace that we drink deeply from. May it be sweeter than the taste of honey. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, here we go. So we're going to approach our text a little differently this morning. As I mentioned, we're going to begin. So I hope you've uh, flipped your pages. We're going to begin our time in Genesis 2, verse 15. Right? Here, we're going to see God's design for work. And it is from here that we will then, as I mentioned, examine Proverbs 24. Right? So here's what God says to us in Genesis. Verse 15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. Okay. Here's what I want you to know. Here's the big thing. God designed work. That is my commentary on Genesis 2. God designed work, not only so that we would cultivate and flourish, but so that he would shape us and so that we would depend on him. We're going to look at that a little bit more. I want you to notice four things in this verse, and I think it's up on the screen, but I want you to notice four things in this verse. Here's the first one. God takes man into the garden. It's the first thing I want you to notice. God takes man into the garden. You see, the garden was already ready to be worked. It was ready to be maintained. It was ready to be cultivated. It was ready for expansion. It was ready to be worked. The garden was something given to man by God, and it was something to be stewarded. Work is not simply provision. Work is a gift. And that's our second point, or the second thing I want you to notice, that work is a gift from God. You see, Genesis 2 takes place before the fall of man, Genesis 3. And we see, and I've mentioned this before, we see in Genesis 2 that work is not a post-fall curse. Work is a pre-fall gift. Work was something that was given to us, gifted to us, all of us, and we are called to steward and cultivate what we've been given. Third, and I mentioned this earlier, work shapes us. That is, the gift of work is something that God uses to shape us and build our character and sanctify us, enabling us to produce culture for the benefit of others. And so that we would rightly depend on him. That was part of the mandate, wasn't it? Be fruitful and multiply. Create culture for the benefit of others. And fourthly, work is directly associated with worship. The principal idea here is that man was not simply going to cultivate the land, but the work he was given or the work that he was going to steward was actually going to reveal his heart. That is, it was going to bring glory to God. It was going to reflect God's character, God's goodness, God's 
enjoyment. It was going to honor God first. Each one of us is called to work. And each one of us will spend a considerable amount of time at work. Which means that we are either going to be shaped and influenced by the work as we look at the gospel, or we're going to be shaped and sanctified by the gospel as we look at our work. Work reveals something about us. And depending on whether or not we steward our work well, determines where our hearts really are and who our hearts are really for. And so with that being said, let us now transition to Proverbs 24. We're going to begin in verse 30. And I want to propose to you a couple of things, three things as a matter of fact. Work reveals, and you're going to see these on the screen, so if you're taking notes, chill, right? Work reveals our identity, work reveals our heart, and work reveals our joy or lack of. Proverbs 24 is a transition in this chapter, and it serves as a story. We don't know if this is a true story or just one with a really, really, really good point. But here's the opening. Verse 30. This is where we're going to park. Verse 30a. Here we go. I passed by the field of a sluggard. We're going to park there for a moment. I passed by the field of a sluggard. Right? Here's the commentary. There's a person, a passerby, not sure who, and he passes by a field, dot, 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 of a sluggard. Okay? Who's the sluggard? The sluggard is mentioned about 14 times in the book of Proverbs, and oftentimes the sluggard is referred to as the one who is lazy, idle, and useless. Those are very dense, harsh words, but that's what it's referring to. Now, with that being said, the temptation for many of you is going to be, oh, well, this is for the lazy. This is for the sluggard. This sermon is obviously for someone else. I can think of two or three people that should be here. And the truth is, that's exactly why this sermon is for you. So don't fall prey to that temptation. You see, while Proverbs speaks of the sluggard as, as I mentioned, the lazy, the idle, and the useless, we can see how the principle of the sluggard rightly applies to the workaholic, or what we will call the busy procrastinator. You know, the workaholic, the one who says, I've sacrificed everything, and really it's just for selfish means. Maybe it is for admiration or progress, or maybe it is the respect of others, but you just invest all of your life into your work, whatever it is that you find yourself in. It can be your actual job, you as a parent, you as a student, you're the workaholic. You're like, no, that's not me. I'm not the workaholic. Maybe you're the busy procrastinator, the one who waits until the end to get everything done, and so you give off this vibe that you actually are busy, but you're not busy, you're just procrastinating. And so let me just tell you, busy does not mean diligent. Busy does not mean fruitful. Busy does not mean faithful. Entonces no te hagas. 
Don't tell me that you're busy. No, you just waited until the last minute. You see, right in these eight words, we learn a lot about our work, or the lack of it. We learn that our work reveals our identity. This is someone looking at the field of the sluggard. This isn't the sluggard being reflective. This is someone looking at the field of the sluggard. Work reveals our identity, and it is seen by others. You see, for the wise, they learn from your identity. Those on the outside, they learn about your identity, and they consider their own hearts. What do you think other people see? That's a very good question to ask yourself. What do you think other people see as you work or don't? Let's go to verse 32. Here's what he says. Then I saw, that's the field, and considered it. I looked and received instruction. Here's what the author is saying. As he looked at the sluggard's lack of stewardship, lack of caring for his, the field that he was given, the work that he was supposed to be doing, as he looked at the sluggard's lack of stewardship, he learned something. See, in this text, the word consider, Izzy used it earlier as he said, consider Jesus. That's a very, very good word. Consider means to place concentrated effort into something. Concentrated thought into something. Being meditative and reflective. The word consider, it's a good word here. It means that the author or the passerby is placing concentrated thought in thinking and reflecting of his heart as he looks at the field of this sluggard. Additionally, where he writes, I looked and received instruction, the phrase, I looked, can be translated to that his heart was set. So he's placing thought into this field of the sluggard and the lack of stewardship. It sets in his heart and he comes to a conclusion. I received instruction. That is, he learns something about who he doesn't want to be. He learns something about what it means to be diligent or disciplined, faithful and fruitful. See, one of the biggest lies that we can believe is that work only applies to you personally. It doesn't apply to the rest of your life. This is where we, because of an individualistic culture and us glued to our phones, this is where we try to compartmentalize our work. Where it doesn't interfere with other parts of our life. But the truth is, your work reveals your idols or your identity. Your work reveals your idols or your identity. (laughs) So, how can you tell if work is your idol? I think at the minimum, if you are being shaped by what you do at work rather than who God says you are, then that is a good indicator that work may be an idol. So let me encourage you by way of reminder of your identity. That is, if you are a Christian, 
then you belong to Jesus. Work is important. It is incredibly valuable. But it will never be more important or more significant than who Jesus says you are. Beloved, redeemed, his most prized possession, a new creation. Let me ask you once more, what is it that you preach to yourself throughout the week? You will spend 90,000 hours at minimum at your job, 7,000 hours at minimum in the context of the Sunday gathering. What is it that you preach to yourself? Let me be more specific. What gospel do you preach to yourself? I didn't ask you if you were hardworking. I asked you what gospel do you preach to yourself? This isn't a question right now of your ethic. And if it is, that's the Holy Spirit convicting you. That's not necessarily the purpose of this sermon. What gospel do you preach to yourself? By way of encouragement and reminder, I would push you, challenge you to memorize Galatians 2.20. So the Apostle Paul tells the churches in Galatia, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. He makes it personal. He makes the gospel personal to him. He is not just saying who loved you and gave himself for you as if he is just putting it on to the Galatians. He brings the gospel and makes it personal and preaches that to himself. What is it that you preach to yourself throughout the week? What is it that shapes you throughout the week? Work reveals our identity. Secondly, Work reveals the nature of our heart. Let's go back to Proverbs 24. This is the end of verse 31 into 32. Here's what he says. So he, uh, we go, yeah, passed by the field of the sluggard, by the vineyard of a man lacking sense. And behold, it was all overgrown with thorns. The ground was covered with nettles, and its stone wall was broken down. Here's what he's saying. He notices that the work, or the lack of work from the sluggard, is revealing the sluggard's heart. When he uses that little term, or that little phrase, a man lacking sense, it's best translated to a man who's lacking heart. In other words, he notices that not only is the field uncared for, not only has it gone unworked and unnurtured, but he learns more about who this person really is who their heart really belongs to. And in this story, the sluggard's heart really belongs to themselves. You don't have to be a sluggard for your heart to reveal that your work is really all about you. You can be the busiest CEO and it still reveals something about your heart. Notice the description of the field. He says that it is overgrown with thorns, the ground is covered with nettles, the wall is broken down. Here's what's so interesting about him watching or looking at this field. You see, the sluggard in this story, even if he wanted to, can't blame the lack of care on the field on the thorns, the nettles, and the wall. In Genesis 3, when God curses work, he tells uh, Adam and Eve that the work that you're now going to do, it's going to be accompanied with frustration. It's going to be accompanied with devastation. 
And we've talked about that in the context of this series, that sometimes, man, what keeps us from moving forward, what makes it difficult is simply thorns and thistles. In this story, the sluggard can't even blame it on the thorns and thistles because the thorns, the nettles, and the broken wall are his doing. It reveals his heart. And sometimes we want to be able to say, oh man, work is really hard because, you know, God is just testing me. No, no, you just didn't do anything. You're just lazy. Or you work so hard and you're putting so much effort or you're the busy procrastinator. And then look at all these challenges that God is just putting before me and you turn it into some spiritual conversation. And it's really, no, this is your doing. You neglected your family because you wanted to. If that's true for us, then work can be a reflection of our approach to how we view God, His Word, and His provision. For a moment, consider Isaiah 5. We're looking at two verses. Here's what, he, here's what God writes through Isaiah. Let me sing for my beloved, my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it of stones and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it and hewed out a wine vat in it. Sounds awesome. And he looked for it to yield grapes but it yielded wild grapes. I would encourage you to read Isaiah 5, 1 through 7. That's where this comes out of. Here, it's poetic language of God providing for Israel, and Israel's job is to cultivate and steward what God has given them. And he's using the imagery of a vineyard. And he says that he built all of these different things in the vineyard. And in building the vineyard, he gives it over to Israel to maintain and keep and expand and have wine parties and all these different kinds of cheese boards. And instead, what ends up happening is that they don't do anything with it. At the end of verse 2, he writes, it yielded wild grapes. The word wild means sour, that they were not good for consumption, that they're actually beginning to erode and affect the rest of the work that was given. Work is a reflection or can be a reflection of our approach to how we view God, His Word, and in the case of Isaiah 5, His provision. You see, a lack of stewardship in something reveals our ignorance or our idolatry. Verses 33 to 34 The author says, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. And poverty, this is where he makes it personal. And poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. In the context of this proverb, the sluggard is saying, I'm going to go to sleep. I'm going to take a little nap, a little siesta. I'm going to fold my hands on my hammock. And chill, I'll get to it. Maybe for the workaholic, they would say, I can never do that. That's crazy. But the truth is, they're never satisfied with whatever it is that they do receive. So they just keep going. 
So you could apply it to both. Nevertheless, he goes on to say, poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like a little man. The word poverty and want kind of go together. It's not just poor. The word poverty and want boil down to this one word. This one word is destitute. In other words, the sluggard in this story lacks even basic necessities because they refuse to steward what they have been given. Therefore, the sluggard is surprised when they have nothing. The imagery of an armed man is really uh, a a military-type imagery. It is an individual who has been trained well in tactical warfare and can be very stealthy and silent and sneaky and takes away. And when the sluggard wakes up, they're surprised. They're surprised that there's thorns. They're surprised that there are nettles. They're surprised that they have nothing. Likewise, the busy one, the workaholic, also wakes up surprised. They wake up surprised when they have nothing, not satisfied but the work that they have consumed themselves with, not satisfied that they are distant from people, family's been pushed away, there is no community, but you've worked really hard, but you're surprised. Work reveals the nature of our heart. Finally, work reveals our joy or lack of joy. You see, in the context of working jobs, it is estimated that about 80% of Americans are unhappy with their job, and the reasons are varied. The point here is that if work is something that we are to steward, something that we're all called to, something that is meant to reflect the character and goodness of God, then there should be joy in work. There should be even enjoyment. Not simply in the work of work, but joy when we rest. Joy in our attitude. Joy in Christ. How do you rest? Don't answer me. Just think about it. How do you rest? Do you even rest? If you don't, then tell me, what's the point of work? There's this phrase that my mom and my neighbor would always tell us. They'd always ask how we're doing, my brothers and I. And we would just say, aquí nomás, trabajando, just here, working. And they would respond by saying, pues no hay otra. There's no other. Right? You just work. You keep working. Right? It's a, it's a, good, uh, it's a good response to keep the conversation going or, or walk away. But... Um, <laughs> But there's something to that. Work is seen as something, you just work, you just keep working. What's the point? If work is a gift, then work is to be received with gratitude. Otherwise, you toil for nothing. This is the writer of Ecclesiastes, by which we will be starting a new series in next week. Okay. Here's what he says, Ecclesiastes 5. Behold, what I have seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun the few days of his life that God has given him. For this 
is his lot. Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil. This is the gift of God. For he will not much remember the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with joy in his heart. Not going too much into Ecclesiastes, but the author of Ecclesiastes makes this argument. All of us are going to work. All of us are hungry. All of us want to pursue something. And what he is going to uh, invariably argue is that it is all in vain. And so he answers the question, then what is the point of work? Why do we work? And he goes on to say, so that we would eat, drink, and be cheerful. Because in that moment, that is what joy looks like in action. And when that moment is over, it is over. Can't get it back. A week ago, we went to Jason's Deli, Eric and I. And it was really cool. I really loved it because it was actually Eric and I, I don't know if you know this, Abby, Eric and I and, uh, and, and Eviana, their daughter. Evie and I colored. It was very therapeutic. It was awesome. I loved it. And we're goofing around, playing with this balloon that kept on hitting other people's food. Uh, sorry. And, um, <laughs> uh, and we kept on joking around, and we played games, and we talked about life, and then we played games again. And it was really, really, really fun. That is what the author of Ecclesiastes is talking about. In that moment, enjoy that moment, because when it is over, it is over. And the work, the gift that we have been given has enabled you to enjoy that moment. There was this one time when we were lifeguards and we got contracted, Eric and I got contracted to go to Corpus to do this job. And I forgot my wallet and he didn't have his wallet either. And we get to Corpus and we don't have a place to stay. We have no money for gas. We have no money to get food, and we slightly freak out, right? <laughs> We've come a long way since Corpus. But even in that moment, even in that moment, there was joy. Because we goofed around a lot and made fun of our poverty and <laughs> the checks we couldn't cash because neither of us had our cards. Nevertheless, we've come a long way from Corpus. The point here is, what's the point of work if you cannot find rest or enjoyment? After service, sometimes, some of you, some of us, sometimes we go to Roosevelt's, enjoy each other, have some laughs, goof around. That is the point. For when that moment is over, you can't get it back. When I spend time with my wife and my son, and we hang out, we're just present and around one another, after that, I cannot get that back. What is the point of work? If you cannot define it, then you toil for nothing. You will always be hungry for something. Or you need more, or you don't feel like you don't have enough. Work reveals our joy. Our joy is what enables us to be faithful. 
faithful to where you are and what you're doing. The Apostle Paul to the Colossian church says this, whatever you do, work heartily, like work well as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. Be faithful where you are. Work diligently. Work well where you are. Secondly, be fruitful. Now, that could be very gospel-y language, right? Expanding the kingdom, making disciples. I have so much work to do. How do I do it? What are the kinds of opportunities at your work, at the place that you're at, as a parent, as a student, as an employee, where you can serve others? What does that look like? Sometimes it might just mean getting the coffee that you're already getting. Get another one. Sometimes it means, actually, I'll take an example out of Jonathan's page, sitting in the same classroom with another teacher and just working together, being present, available. What does it look like to serve others where you are? And finally, apply wisdom. That's been the whole argument, the whole purpose of the series. Apply wisdom. And how did we define or how did we look at applying wisdom? One, the fear of God. Recognizing that God is who he says he is and you are not him. We are not him. That is the fear of the Lord. Secondly, searching the scriptures, finding ourselves immersed and soaked in God's word, not so that we would have the right answers, but so that we would be sanctified, so that we would be drawn to his goodness and his grace, so that we would be more like Jesus. Applying wisdom means looking for wise counsel. This is being discipled or discipling someone. Some of you, after this sermon, are going to ask whether or not you should be at the job you're at. And the answer I have is, I don't know. This isn't so that you would consider quitting your job, because maybe you shouldn't. Maybe you're just complaining, or maybe you're actually really good at what you do. And so you should be faithful to where you are. Maybe you're locked in. Be faithful and fruitful to where you are. Should it mean advancing in your job? I don't know. But let's pray about it. Let's chew on it. Maybe it is time for you to look for another job. I don't know. Let's pray about it. Let's seek the scriptures. Let's go back and forth. When you receive wise counsel, let me encourage, actually put stuff on the table. This is what I'm struggling with. This is what I'm battling with. I'm having issues with A, B, and C. Don't make passing comments. Passing comments are just a way of overlooking what's really going on. Passing comments are really just a way of, it's another way of being arrogant. Work reveals our joy or lack of it. In Proverbs 24, we've been fairly practical in this approach. But let me assure you that the gospel is directly connected to our stewardship of work. You see, it is the gospel that has given us renewed hearts through the finished work of Jesus for us, dying in our place and for our sin. It is through faith and repentance in Jesus that we have received new hearts with new desires and a renewed mind and new perspective through our eyes. 
It is through these renewed hearts that we have been empowered to be faithful and fruitful in our work as we glorify God and make Him known. You see, outside of a renewed heart, though many do great and wonderful things, the heart is still displaced and will still reveal identity, the heart, and joy. Stewardship, as we close this series, stewardship is managing all that God has gifted us with and entrusted us with. As stewards, we are called to cultivate, help flourish, invest, expand, to be faithful and fruitful with the resources we have been given. There almost isn't anything we haven't been called to steward. Therefore, we must be diligent in pursuing and applying wisdom so that we might be sanctified, so that Jesus might be made known, and most significantly, so that God would be glorified. Jesus is the ultimate example of biblical stewardship. Let us be biblical and godly stewards and put to death, by the power of the Holy Spirit, put to death the desire to be owners and gods ourselves and trust in the one who is faithful and true. So Christian, What is your work as an employee, as a student, as a parent? What does your work reveal about your identity? What does it reveal about your heart? What does it reveal about your joy? And I want you to think about that question very specifically. Because the temptation, even for myself, is to give you my accomplishments. I don't want the accomplishments. And I'm sure your work is very important. It is to God, 100%. But consider the question. What does your work reveal about your identity, your heart, and your joy? Are you putting in the work, but your life is void of Christ? Are you not putting in any effort, and your life is still void of Christ? Find your identity and rest in Him By coming before Him in honesty and transparency, you receive grace and mercy. Even now as we are sitting, or you're sitting, I'm standing, right? Even now as we are here, you are being lavished with the grace of God. Right now, present tense. It's not like you got to do something to go get it. Right now, as you sit, you are being lavished and poured out with His grace. And if you don't know Jesus, I love that you're here. I do. And I'm sure you produce beautiful things. And if work has been frustrating to you, I'm very sorry. I know it can be challenging. But more than your work, here's the truth from Scripture. That no matter how much or how well you work, your heart is still displaced. And therefore, you cannot please God because you do not know God. But the beauty of Jesus is that He invites you to come and know Him. He is ready to pardon any sinner who turns to him in faith and repentance, ready to replace your stone heart with a heart of flesh and put his spirit in you. Church, the gospel has empowered our renewed hearts to be faithful and fruitful in our work so that we would glorify God 
and make him known. Let's pray. God, we began this series by asking you for wisdom. And we close our time in this series by continuing to ask you for wisdom. A wisdom that brings us to Jesus. A wisdom that reflects your goodness in our lives as stewards. A wisdom that provides us with the ability to use discernment and sound judgment. A wisdom that glorifies you in the daily that is our lives. Father, would you forgive us of our folly in pursuing ownership where we try to be you and our own God? Would you forgive us for being captivated by idols? Would you forgive us for trying to live apart from you? Would you forgive us when we willingly pursue our foolishness? Forgive us for forgetting your work in us, our redemption and restoration through Jesus. Father, would you empower us to live according to your word through your spirit for your glory? Not simply for today, but as we start our week with new challenges, but same temptations. Would you guard our hearts so that we may walk in wisdom and in step with the gospel of Jesus Christ. May the words of our mouth and the meditation of our heart be pleasing to you this morning. Amen.